All right, guys. Father God, we thank you for these gentlemen. Thank you that we can gather together, humbly just seeking your face, wanting to, I don't know, stimulate each other to good works, direct each other to God's grace. Father, we thank you for the call that you've set upon our lives. Oh, how I deserve hell, and yet you've given me new life and a ministry. I can't imagine why. But I see your plan, and my brothers, I hear them, and I'm excited to see what you're doing in their towns, in their lives, in their desire to unite and to have a vision that is grounded in you. We thank you so much for this gentleman that taught us yesterday. What an inspiration. And you know, when we are 80 and we're still serving God with that zeal, we can say, wow, I've done something. <laughs> we can thank you. Now we're young and foolish and me the, me the most. And so we, we really give you all that we have as humble gifts. And we pray that you'd speak to us with the things that uh, you put on my heart, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Tough act to follow, huh, yesterday? That was so cool. I like this gentleman. And it's cool. He's going to Montreal, and I'm, I'm here. Um, I've told him, next time you come, come and teach at our church. Right, guys, I, uh, I have something that I've been preparing. It's been on my heart. I looked at it this morning again. I said, oh, should I cut it down? Let me be more, you know, let me adapt it. And I thought, no, I'm changing nothing. So, because I thought, you know, I have been praying about this conference for a couple months, and it's been put on my heart, and I've been in Acts for, uh, f- for five years, and um, I'm in Acts 17 now for a couple months, and uh, I thought, that's so what it's about. You know, Acts 17 is the ultimate chapter, you know, how Paul is there in Athens. Athens, man, that's, that's LA, New York, Montreal, Paris, Hong Kong, all put together, you know, and I'm like, that's urban ministry and he's the urban minister and he fails big time there's no real conversion a couple guys at the end but does he does he really fail of course not he's doing exactly what he's called to do and you know I've been there 13 years in Montreal and I'm doing what I'm trying to I'm trying to be honest and faithful to what God has called me and I know you guys are doing the same and and so we don't look at the end result do we we look at each day uh, being enough trouble of its own. Each day have we been faithful to the ultimate call. So I got a couple things to show you. And, you know, yeah, I have a little outline. We'll do it quickly. But uh, that's the church that God just provided for us. It's almost like a little cathedral. Uh, it's right on St. Catherine Street. And St. Catherine is, uh, is one of the longest shopping streets in North America. It's like, I don't know, seven 10 miles of stores, and, um, and that's right on it. Behind, you see the University Concordia. There's four major universities in Montreal, two French, two English, largest population of students per capita. And yes, these are just figures. I couldn't care less, but what they just said is that this year, Montreal became the best place to study on earth. It was Paris before, and obviously with everything going on there. And Montreal is, because you can go to McGill University, do a a degree in, in medicine for $5,000 a year. And, so, and, and McGill is rated like one of the 10 top universities on earth. So 
the whole idea is that it's cheap, it's easy, you can live, we were just talking about that this morning, you can live in Montreal, have an awesome apartment for like $700, $800 a month, and it's 4 million people, so this, is, this ain't no village, you know, but, so the quality of life is really high, no crime, uh, you know, you count it on, you know, they say, oh, the 30th murder, and it's like in August or something like that, so there's just a few violent events a year. The next photo is the, still the same church, and the Concordia University is just behind. Lots of Chinese students, lots of people. Uh, but I don't know, is it 25,000 students right there? And so this place is great. It's, uh, it's an Anglican church, and I have a good rapport with a man. I talked to you about that yesterday. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be right in town, and I didn't want to, I don't know, this is what God provided. It's cheap, too, for what we have, and we have our offices in there. And the next photo is, I don't know what, oh yeah, that's the inside of the church. And the stained glasses is just, I mean, you just look at that, you know. Last week I went to lay down, I was alone in that church, I went to lay down face forward on, on the floor repenting of my stupidities and, and I just thought, wow, you know, I'm, this has been there for 153 years old and it was built originally for, to serve the Lord. Now, you know, it's, it's filled with, I don't know, it's very, very liberal, but uh, we're not. And so we're using those walls to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that was Easter. It was sweet. And it's small. Montreal, you know, you say you're a pastor. They don't know what that means. So you start from scratch. I'm a, I'm a priest who can marry you. Wow, cool. And uh, so you really, you really, you know, you, there's a long way to go. So for people to come in a church is a miracle. But once they're in, they stay. And, uh, and um, John Calvin wrote about Athens, he says this, the city that was the seat of wisdom, the fount of all the arts, and the mother of humanity, exceeding all others in blindness and, my, and madness. That might be like your city, blindness and madness. He continues, he says, we know that intelligent and learned men were unanimous in praising and honoring Athens. And she flattered herself to the extent of regarding anyone she had not refined as barbarians. So if you've not been through the walls of Montreal, L.A., New York, uh, whatever, Chicago, uh, Seattle, you're, you're a, a man of the woods, you know? And uh, that's what the cities would make you want to think, that if you pass through their filter, you'll become enlightened. Back to Montreal's four million people and French and English. So we do a French and an English service back to back uh and you know like you guys it's a very 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 liberal place like seattle uh weed is just about to be legalized around the country though not just in the main city so that means even in small towns you'll be able to to weed up you know so everywhere is going to be legalized within a few months with our trudeau guy and uh you know legalized euthanasia now in quebec um, and same-sex marriage, that's old school for us, 12 years. You don't even think about it anymore. Just down the street from our church is one of the largest world gay neighborhood. It's called The Village, and there's 100,000 pink balls. Beautiful. You got to like it. Hanging over the street, and they block the whole street in that gay neighborhood, and people from all over the city flock there, and they love it. They, they, you know, it's, it's, it's a pure openness Less than 0.5% evangelical Christians. So less Christians in Quebec than in Cuba. And uh, so it's exciting. It's an exciting battleground, you know. And 
But more and more, I'm convinced that the gospel alone is what's going to work. You know, I've tried a lot of different things, like you guys, and, uh, you know, I was part of a big church in Albuquerque, and I came in with that mentality. God beat that out of me with a, a, in a lot of ways. He beat me personally, humbled me, squished me, refined me. Good. I, I sucked. And I'm still a little like that, but I'm getting better. But God really had to get rid of me, a lot of me, and then and bring me back to the gospel. It's just, I think that's so, that's what I'm going to do with you guys. I'm going to remind us, remind me that there's nothing else. And I know my brother's going to share on teaching soon, on preaching. I think he's going to dovetail on it. Greg Gilbert says this in What is the Gospel? I mean, the gospel is about worshiping God, isn't it? And uh, when people walk in, into your walls, do they end up worshiping the Lord? Uh, an emaciated gospel, Greg Gilbert says, leads to an emaciated worship. It lowers our eyes from God to self and cheapens what God has accomplished for us in Christ. The biblical gospel, by contrast, is like fuel in the furnace of worship. The more you understand about it, believe it, and rely on it, the more you adore Christ both for who he is and for what he's done for us in Christ. That's what I want people to feel and sense when, of course, when they come in those walls, my dad is an unbeliever, 79 years old, same age as the gentleman here, Traveled the world, went to Himalaya seven times, wrote many books, theater plays. The guy's, you know, a, a madman for humanity. Uh, he had, I wish he was a madman for Christ, but uh, he was there at Easter. So, wow, what an amazing place. So that helps for worship. But, you know, you, you can have those walls, but we can be really, I don't know, not worshipful, not centered on Christ. N.T. Wright writes this. In Simply Good News, Why the Gospel is News and what, it makes it, what Makes It So Good. Listen to this. I think that's key. That's the questions we want to ask of the people who walks in our, our rooms. And just so I don't forget, I'm here to teach about outreach. So in a moment, we'll talk about that. But to outreach people, you have to ask the right question. And N.T. Wright says this. I think it's brilliant. Who made us and to whom are we accountable? We know the answer. God. What is our problem and are we in trouble and Why? Man, what is God's solution to the problem? How has he acted to save us from it? Christ. And then finally, N.T. Wright says, how do I myself right here, right now, come to be included in this salvation? What makes this good news for me and not just for others? And that's our response. So when we talk about the gospel, that's the motor for any outreaches. If the gospel is not at the core of what I do, what else do I have to offer? The fact that I was an actor once and I have a good voice, who cares? Do you understand? We live in a world of art, of intelligence, of creativity. We have n I have nothing to offer, not even those pretty walls, but the truth of the gospel. And I, the more I'm attached to it, the more I get humbled, the more I get excited. And the more the people that walk in the church, they don't leave. It's the ultimate hook. Or they say, you guys are nuts. Or they say, you guys are genuine. And I want to I wanna vibe by the same gospel that you've discovered. Let me talk about the spread of the gospel. So the text, of course, is Acts. And um, in Acts 17, what's cool, that the whole passage is that Paul is constantly pushed away. You remember he's in Thessalonica, now he's in Berea, and then he gets, you know, disturbed by everyone, and he ends up in Acts. He gets under severe persecution. And in verse 15 of Acts 17, it says that 
So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So the guy's alone. The guy's propelled to Athens and he's left alone. So the gospel is spreading because it's got to. So our cities and the cities in the U.S. and the 505 cities around the world of a million, is that what, we, what was said yesterday by our great teacher? The gospel's got to go in those places, you know? And, and yes, we've, we've chosen, I don't know, maybe zones of comfort. In Romans 1, 15, 17, so I'm going to put those up, and you know those, but you don't have to turn. So as much as it is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first, for the Greeks, for the Montrealers, for the Americans, for everyone around. It's the power, for it is righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, uh, written, the just shall live by faith. So ashamed of the gospel. You know, we often think we have something better to offer, or do we? We think that, oh, we've come up with, and even that whole urban or whatever it is, whatever our angle can be, it's a, it's a, it's a danger because we become angle-directed and not gospel-centered. And so when I do outreaches, I'll share that in a moment. If it's not right and only in the gospel, I'm always finding that I'm being cheeky and tricky and coolly. And Romans 10, 14, 15. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So the idea, of course, is that, you know, one of you here want to go to Quebec eventually. Some of you, I mean, we're training guys, you know, that need to go out and to give them that vision. And, you know, it was very cool. We were talking, Justin, yesterday about how it'd be good to have a team of men and have different people teach on different campuses, different churches all at the same time. And, but what I found, I agree with you 100%, but men have to be called. They have to sense that call and they have to Get their pants up and go and not see comfort. Not, and when you go plant a church in an urban setting, you'll, you'll suffer. But the excitement that will come as God will produce its fruit is there's nothing like it. I would never go back to Calvary Albuquerque, never. Even if you gave me a church of 5,000 people, never. Because when you're in that trenches feel, you know, you're talking about being a, uh, a chaplain to those who have suffered and those who are facing death, I find that we're really alive as we're doing ministries in the city. It's, it's exciting and crazy. But also, the more, I, the more I teach, the more I do these things over and over, you know, and I don't, I don't have a big team. I mean, you guys are, there's many of you in a, in a, in, you know, in a coast. We're, we're really alone over there, and there's many advantages. But, uh, so we, I keep trying different things. I have one man who can teach for me once in a while, but you know, I'm teaching 49 weeks a year or something like that. And the more I was telling that yesterday, if you heard me, I'm sorry, but the more I'm teaching, the more I find that only the word of God will liberate. So even my cleverness, my great readings, my great intelligence, meaning zip, is not gonna produce the food that I want. So I've, I've, I've decided to really dive and only Trust the word of God, and you'd be surprised how the people in Montreal who's never heard it, they're stoked when you offer the scripture and nothing but. They're like, wow, man, that's powerful. I don't know about you, but this has something to say. Between that and a conversion, there's a long, there's a long gap, I agree. 
But what can convert the soul if it's not the word? So what we see in verse 13 and 18, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. In verse 18 of Acts 17, others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. The response of the people around Athens and in Athens is like, this guy is preaching something so foreign to us, but that is stirring. The word, guys, for me, let, let me remember, it's always effective. My dad, 79 years old, is not a Christian, but he's hearing the word and he's compelled. He's compelled not by his son's voice, but by the word of God. In Isaiah 55.10, you know those words, the, you know the... You know, for as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. So, you know, I've decided every Sunday I will put all these verses on the screen. Yeah, they'll look at one verse on their, on their Bible, but they will be bombarded by the word of God. And then they'll have to do whatever they want to do with it. But I have seen that people are excited about the word of God being presented to them ongoingly. Also, the word is penetrating. It's revealing. You know, the word, the word you know what it does. The, the people of Quebec are so, they're really interesting people. And they're very educated and artistic and traveled. And, and like here, like all your cities. And so you really need to slice through. And I can't do it. I've tried with my, you know, my ideas, my thoughts, my, my intellect, my, my knowing of my culture. It doesn't work. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The word of God is living and powerful, nothing else. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the things that I want to see is what is the intent of those walking in those walls? What's the intent of those saying no to the gospel as I evangelize in the metro, the subway? And the word seems to be revealing that. Then from there, I can, like Paul, only not as good, I can use what I see in the revelation of the word of God in the people's lives and try to tag on this some truths. But also the word is confronting and dividing. Luke 12, 51. Paul is causing division everywhere. And look at us. We want to please. We want to be men pleasers, pew fillers. Forget that. You know, the word divides. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From, from, from now on, five and one houses will be divided. Three against two Two against three, father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and so on. The word does that. And when we preach honestly in our cities, people are divided, but that division, actually it's exciting for them. For the, the, the city dweller who's a rebel, who wants to be his own man, his own woman, she or will be saying, you know what? Yeah, truth divides. Truth separates. And I found that that has helped in my outreaches as well. Now, Matthew 13 says, receive the word and understand it. We won't read the whole thing, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bear fruit and produces some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. 
But the other parable is really interesting is the parable of the wheat, of course. And, you know, Jesus says, you know, no, 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 don't just let it grow. And after that, remove the wheat. You know the story. But bear fruit or be discarded. Again, when I am before the little congregation and the word of God does its thing, I stand away and I say, you know what, God, you bear the fruit. And those who are not interested, those who will not bear fruit, you, God, not Calvary Montreal or our urban settings, you will discard what is not of you. You will purify. So in a way, it's a way to relax. Also, we're understaffed, all of us. And so we can't say, okay, we'll have our staff go and find what's the true wheat and the tares. Forget that. Let the Lord do that. You just produce good fruit by producing the word of God. I think that's our fruit bearing. Produce the fruit, let it be heard. So Paul, emotion and action, number three, urban ministry is not for wimps. In verse 16, it says, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over, over to idols. Guys, to be in a city of any kind, of any magnitude, is, is an intense realization. I was in the hotel today. I was looking. I asked for the ninth floor, you know, so I was looking at the city, and I was praying a little bit. Not enough, but I was looking and thinking, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a mission field, you know. And your reaction can be, ah, all that sin, all that idolatry, all that stuff, all that 100,000 pink balls down there. And, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. There was St. Patrick's Day parade a couple weeks ago in Montreal. Yes, again, another figure. It's the oldest one. So there's, it is so big. And before the church, in front of the door, people couldn't get in because there were people smoking weed everywhere and drinking and peeing. Thanks for that. And your reaction could be, I need a church in the burbs where people can park their BMWs and come and tithe. But we can't do that. You got to be there and say, guys, could you move so people can come in? And you can come in too if you want. Could you not pee there so we can walk? The idea is you're not a wimp. I mean, you, you got to face. And then Paul was there. He was looking at that city. Isaiah 2, 7 and 8. The land is also full of silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasure. Their land is also full of horses, and there's no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. You know, we live in towns that are very creative. You talked about the industrialness of, of, of Seattle and how great businesses and you know, technology has emerged from your city. For us, it's, I don't know, whatever, Cirque du Soleil and, and so many artistic venues and, and the people are really clever and they've devised idols that I like. They have, they've hooked me in too. It's like, wow, that is so cool. Those emotions that you feel when people pee in front of your church and all the other idols that are around, you know, can provoke all sorts of things. It has to become a motor. To be a, a church planter in a city, you have to let those emotions like Paul say, yeah, right on, bring it on. I want to serve this community. I want to see them saved. I want to love them. I want to see them be set free from the things made by their hands, which has no value. It says he was provoked, paroxuno. He was infuriated, angry, spurred on, incensed. It's okay to be like that. 
You can be like that, not just, oh, you know, I'm accepting all and seeing all and it's all good. No, you can walk around and say, what is this? But then, of course, you have to act. Numbers 14, 11, God was feeling those emotions and the Lord said to Moses, how long would these people reject me? How long would they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. So we don't do the last part, but we do the first part. How long? Wow, that's intense. 13 years, man. And I'm reaching 125 people out of 4 million. There's a lot of work to do. I'm infuriated by the power of the world, but I'm stoked. I am stimulated, incensed to go forward. Jerusalem, said an author, moved the Lord both to tears and anger. I like that. We mentioned that yesterday. And Athen stirred Paul to holy anger. So you got to be somewhere in there between the tears and the holy anger. And that fuels true ministry. It fuels excitement. It fuels resilience too because if you want to do ministry in the cities, you got to last. You know, the people that I'm serving, they don't want me to go anywhere. Not me, but they don't want the church to go. They don't want us to get tired and move to the burbs. A lot of our families have, they were single, they got jobs, they were students, they got jobs, they got married in our church, they have babies, and many of them have moved into close burbs because they can't afford in the city, even though it's cheap. But, you know, they have maybe smaller wages too. But, um, but then we could say, hey, let's move and follow the families. Never. We're going to stay there and continue to invite the people from the city. And John 2, 16 to 17 you know the passage, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So of course, our church can become like that because we want to compete with the world. We want to have, I don't know, you know, we want to be cool. We want to adapt. And then after that, in 2 Corinthians, I'm jealous with a godly jealousy for I have betrothed you to one husband that may present you as a chaste virgin. And I like at the end, it says, so your mind may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, all we have to offer in cities is the simplicity of Christ because we can't offer the complexity of humanism. You can't. You can't compete and you must not attempt. And those who do, and many do, you know, they become seeker sensitive and they have light shows and they have big churches and they're, they're, the roots are very shallow and the competition produces no real profound fruit and people are not finding the simplicity in Christ. See, Paul was distressed when he saw the name of God profaned and he reacted. Such zeal has to be our own. Are you guys zealous when you see the name of God profaned? You have to be on fire and say, I want the name of God to be honored. There's another great danger is that you see the name of God profaned or you see the people's reaction to the things of God and you want to kind of blend in. You don't want to have the divisive word. You want to let the seeker come in instead of being truly concerned about the sought after. You want the seeker. Well, seekers can stay in churches for years, you know that, without ever truly being born again because they can blend their world and the world of faith. But we have to be so different. We have to refuse the blending in. We have to, 
You know, some, someone said people say that they're sorry about idolatry but grow profane with everyone else rather than try to reform others. You can't grow profane. Oh, you know, let's do all our, our Bible studies and bars because people will accept us. That's old school, guys. Forget that. That's, we're done with that. You do the Bible studies here in the churches, in the cities. And yes, you go in the parks and you go in the world, but you're not of it. Athens was the ultimate idolatrous place in dire need of the gospel. How about Montreal, Seattle, L.A., New York? Stand for truth. Stand for truth. And you know what? If if you're wondering if your city looks like the one of old and will look like the one of the future, you know 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5. Look at this. That's our cities. But know this, that in the last days, and I guess in the time of Paul, it was already the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Look at the cities in there. Look at your universities. Look at the center of thought of our, of our, of our cities. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good Traitors, headstrong, oddy, lovers of pleasure. That's probably the most powerful force in Montreal rather than lovers of God. And then, you know, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And of course, it says after that, just stick to the word. He's saying, you know, follow my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. And then he says, I was persecuted. And then he says, you know what? You learned those scriptures when you were young with your grandma. Stick to it, Timothy. So I don't know what we're looking for, for alternative methodologies, but I'm done looking. I've decided to go back and to stay and to abide by the simplicity of the word, nothing but. Number four, Paul, an evangelist and preacher without compromise. So in verse 18, Others said he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. It's very cool. People were connecting. Say, okay, you're, praying, you're preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And for them, and you may have heard that, of course, it, uh, it, they thought that um, the, the resurrection was another deity. So that Paul had, like them, a variety of deities. And Plato mentioned that the Athenians believed that all the little deities led you to the big deity. And Paul, of course, of course says, no, 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 no. There's only one God, one mediator. That's one thing that we share a lot in Montreal. No priests, no pope, no, no self, but only Christ alone. You know, they often say that Paul adapted his message in Athens. He became contextualized and modernized and knew and understood the community around. I really stand to defer. I really believe that's not at all what happened. He did make some bridges. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he stuck to the simplicity of Jesus and the resurrection and the gospel alone. Never, never softened the gospel to fit the mold. Yeah, but it's so, you know, in order for them to stay wrong, in my humble opinion, do whatever you want, but what we've tried in our place, whenever we softened, people would stay less, would be converted less. They want, and that's the city reality, is, is an, a search for, for intensity, for absolutism. Present that. That's what Jesus did. 
1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ. You always go back to that. And then the next text is, you know it well, the message of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness. It's unimaginable. In Quebec, they, don't, they can't relate at all. You know, there was a, it was a very Catholic setting until 1965, 68. My dad was a choir boy. And in the 60s, we evacuated everything. And we became really freed up in poetry and music and thinkers. The priests of our day are the artists in Quebec. And um, we had what we call the Quiet Revolution. And poets and singers changed the face of our thinking. We were, were very nonviolent, and so there was very little violent battle, like we may have heard yesterday in the 60s in the U.S., but there was this emancipation that is still there today. And, you know, in Quebec, we have the French, the English, the French want to have their own country, so we have our own identity and so you teach the cross, you're very foolish, but they get you by saying, you know what, it's foolish to the world. Yeah, yeah, foolish, I understand. My, my message of separatism is foolish to the English. So the, you connect with the fact that intensity, absolutism, is what people are after. So it's foolish, but it's truth. And it liberates the speaker and liberates the listener. Number five, Paul, a bridge maker leading to Christ only. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. Oh, you see, he's contextualizing, he's adapting, he's modernizing. He's not doing that. He knows they're poet. So do I. You know your poets. You know your television thinkers, your internet, Facebook, uh, YouTubers. You know the people that shape the thinking of your nations. Yes, you know. Are you going to teach that? Are you going to preach that? Are you going to say, well, you know what? Like I saw. No, you're going to say, okay, yeah. One of your poets says this, but let me tell you what that means. You just connect. the. In Jeremiah 50, 38, for it is the land of carved images and they are insane where they're idols. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how it is here. But Montreal loves their idols. And we keep coming up with new ones and fresh ones and design ones. And, and of course, the same here. Same in all of our big centers. Athens was a religious center. You know that? It was thousands and thousands of false gods. Every building was dedicated to a god. The pagan writer Petronius said that it's easier to find a god than a man in Athens. So Paul makes a connection with those gods. He says, okay, I see that you're very, very, very religious. You're extremely religious. I could say that about my nation, even though no one goes to church at all. There's no such thing as a Protestant church filled on Sunday. Yeah, there's one in a burb, and it's very, uh, very charismatic. So, but... But yet they're religious because they're looking for truths. You know, people in Quebec, people in Seattle, in L.A., in San Francisco, everywhere, they're looking for truth. But it's very clever. Paul says, you guys are very religious. You know what the word is? The word is daisy deo monesteros. It means you are fearing or revering gods. You're revering daemons, demons. 
And you're very firm, stereo, you're firm on your demons. And it's cool because the Athenians thought, wow, you're very understanding of us as a nature. Yeah, we, we are. You guys are following false gods and you're stuck in demon worship. Short of saying that, you just say, wow, I see that you guys are really pursuing the things of the flesh. You know, we have to understand this is a battle with the wicked one. Our cities, of course, have been great center for Satan to dwell and devise his destruction. Ephesians 6, 11, 12. And that's what Paul is saying in this. You're very religious. You're, you're very absorbed with the things of Satan. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wile of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you sense that when you're in church? It's not the unbelieving gay person who walked in. It's not the person who thinks that they have found God and goddesses left and right that is my battlefield. It's the evil one that gives us peace because then you obviously have to spend more time on your knees, which I don't spend enough time on. I have to be more vulnerable before the Lord. God, help me. This is your town, your place, your church. He says, you know, I've seen altars to an unknown God. That's very cool. You know, we like to say that. And, you know, our, our, our communities are full of unknown gods. The Quebecois don't even know what they worship, but they worship a lot. You know the unknown God thing? You know how that took place? There were plagues in 600 B.C. before Paul was there, obviously, and uh, some false religious freaks came and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a whole bunch of sheep, uh, white sheep and black sheep, uh, that will uh, we'll release in the city of Athens, and then whenever they're going to lay down those little beasts, we're going to slaughter them all over the city. How, how about that? Good idea. That's going to work. So these little sheep were killed all over the city and around the hills of Athens. And everywhere one of those black or white sheep was slaughtered, they put a little mini altar to the unknown God. You know, that makes me think of all those things in our cities that are slaughtered, that are, that are presented to false God, to false principalities and powers. And then, yeah, people say, yeah, I found a solution. Oh, I found a solution. I found a solution to my plague, to my lack of love, my lack of hope. And you can say, yeah, I see those things. That's cool. Paul did that. But don't become a specialist in the altars. Oh, you know what, man, let me tell you, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a I'm, I'm able to be anthropologistic, sociologically understanding. I'm a modern culture guru. I know my culture. Don't know it too much. It's crap. Okay? And the more you know it, the more it's going to swallow it. And the more you'll be tempted by saying, you know what? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what I saw on Facebook this week. No, don't. Tell me what's in the Bible. For me. That's my, that's my take. The more the little images and the little things and the little videos and the little pop thing, come on. The world has it cornered so much better than you could ever do it unless you have a staff of 500 people and you've seen those pictures with all those videos. After two minutes, I was like, wow, man. I should be on, I don't know, I should be doing anything but watching this right now. So as for me and my home, we will just go back, you know, to the message of the cross, presented with vulnerability, with tenderness, with true worship, as we saw yesterday, with the passion of that guy who, you know, is not in the best setting with the best microphones, just banging at the piano for the Lord Jesus. That's powerful. And then after that, the cross, the truth. 
Number six, we're almost done. Hang in there. Jesus, all in all, in him we live and move and have our being. You know that that was from a poet of the day. It's two different poets that said two different sections of this. And Paul uses that. That's good. That's clever. You know, we have a show on TV in Montreal called Tout le monde en parle. Everybody speaks about it. That's the name in, in French. And it's a, a ripoff from a French show. And literally, that show is watched by most of our nation, most of our community. So everybody talks about that show the rest of the week. I do watch it on Monday. I just, you know, exhausted in front of the fireplace. Watch that. So I can be in tune with what's going on in my culture. And I can, yeah, I can refer to it for 1.7 seconds. But then I'll go back to the scriptures. I'll go back to the gospel. And people say, okay, you're not a fool. You're not a religious fanatic who's disconnected, but teach me the gospel. So the sermon of the Areopagus is often used as the ultimate contextualized, adapted, relevant teaching. That is not what I perceive when I teach it over months on end. What we see is Jesus as creator of all, Jesus as Lord of all, Jesus as provider of all, Jesus as judge of all. He even says, Jesus is going to judge you. Not God, the Father removed. Jesus will judge you, he says at the end of the message of Acts 17. And then, of course, Jesus has resurrected, therefore, Lord of all. Is he your Lord? Is he, have you been freed from the time issue? So, if I can tie it in with the outreach that we can do in our cities, the more, you know, all outreaches have to flow out of Jesus, the God-man, who has been victorious over death and victory, who'll come back to judge, who is provider of all, creator of all, judge of all. So we've tried a lot of different outreaches over the last 13 years. So when I first moved from Albuquerque, I had a large church mentality. It's, oh, it's okay, I... I, I Praise the Lord. I'm trying to have skip over to our next conference that we do in the fall. So I honor these men. But for Montreal, for a setting of an urban situation, it just doesn't work. So we had a large concert with well-known Christian bands with 800 people that came twice in that Salvation Army building that we rented. We were 40 of us in our church, and we filled that place with 800 people twice. Most Christians, mostly Christians. No salvation and no people coming to the church after, or barely, but it was exciting. Hallelujah. That's okay. It's not a bad thing. And we had 100 people come on, an, on mission trips, and praise the Lord, they, they all learned, and we had a sweet time. Now, we also tried smaller mission teams over the years after. Great time. What we've been doing is an interesting thing. For 10 years, and that's a miracle, we've gotten a city permit to go in one of the main a important park of the city and preach. You know, we have, a, there's a team from the U.S., very sweet for the last 10 years, bring inflatables. We serve like six, 700, 800 hot dogs to a community uh, that is uh, not, as, not as, you know, fortunate, a bit uh, harder place. And so we, you know, we serve hot dog and games. A typical thing for, for but that's been fruitful because we can really preach and we really, we, we, we have, you know, we preach the gospel, we do worship music in the park. It just should not happen that we got that permit. We, we did. We talked to you about the Bible club that we're doing, you know, for the Muslim and the, the Buddhist and the atheist children. But I tell you what, you guys, and I'll, uh, I have a copy of it. I'll, uh, I'll put it on the bench in the front here. The most fruitful outreach is the one that I'm doing every week with 
just a handful of people, and I pray and hope that more people would go, is we go to the subway station, not too far from our church. We have a little pad with a questionnaire. I'll show you. Basic. But the guy who's devised the questionnaire has been doing this for 30 years. And um, we just ask questions. What do you believe? Where are you going to go? You know, where are you? Why are you on earth? Uh, if you were face-to-face with God, what would you say to enter into his presence? And the conversations that we have and the longing that we see in people's heart and ears and eyes, so cool. And that we can really share the gospel. We can really talk. And we say at the NA, we just listened to you for 20 minutes about your views in the world. Do you mind if we share ours? People always say yes. They always say yes. And we have conversations for 30, 40 minutes. People were just passing through and they hang out and they talk with us. It's awesome. Door-to-door evangelism, we do that. When it gets cold, we go into the big building on the campus of the university, McGill University, one of the four. And uh, we, once we enter the building, then we go from door to door because it's too cold outside. You'd lose a limb, you know? And, uh, and then we knock, hello, can we talk to you about the Lord? And Tony, our evangelist guy who's in our church, he's the guy who teaches for me once in a while. He's passionate. He's like 6'6", six, six, really impressive, and he has this wild laugh. But people will listen to him, and I'm listening to him, Tony. I'm like, wow, man, you're bold. This dude... For the last 20 years, at two corners, main corner of our downtown, St. Catherine, and another corner, uh, he goes for two and a half months with some people from our church, and he does one of those painting thing presentation, you know, and he slowly releases the, shows the gospel message, and there's hundreds of people that stop, and he preaches the gospel like Jonathan Edwards type. No ifs or buts, not, not Turn or burn, you go to hell tomorrow. No, but it's clever, it's well done, but the whole gospel's presented. And of course, as soon as Jesus is mentioned, three quarters of the people are gone, but the message has gone in before, unbeknownst to them, whoa, their mind has been. So that is ministry. So the team and the excitement and the shows, and I think you know that by now, but really just being where the people are. And you listen, I've, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, like a lot of you guys, I want to connect with a lot of uh, local pastors, and I do that. And uh, I always talk with different guys, and they tell me some of the seeker-sensitive churches, what they do, and they, uh, one of their outreaches is we go past water bottles at 2 o'clock at night uh, after the parties on campuses when people are heavily stoned and drunk, and we give them water bottle in Jesus' name, you know, so that they're not dehydrated. I thought, okay, that's, that's one way to do it. Uh, do you, are you guys able to talk? No, no, people are too intoxicated. Another church, you know, good friend. I'll be honest, my brother. My brother is a, he's a, he's an elder in a church. He was with us for a while, and that's good. He went to the Baptist churches. Now he's planted another church. But it was interesting. Their whole goal was to be in the equivalent of, you know, right here, of Capitol Hill or, I don't know, Pearl District or Silver Lake, whatever, the really typical Le Plateau, it's called, really artistic neighborhood in Montreal, and they call their name the Church of the Plateau, the Church of the Capitol Hill, you know. And then after a while, they wanted everybody to move in the neighborhood, you know, and they really wanted to be neighborhood-bound, and the deacons and elders had to move. Nobody could afford it. So eventually, people could not afford moving in the neighborhood, but they had that church with that name. Very cool. And then eventually, they lost their building in that neighborhood. They were kicked out to another neighborhood, but they still have the plateau name. You know what? All, all approaches, all anything that demands, a, 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 I don't know, a, an angle, 
will take you away from the simplicity of the gospel. Other churches, of course, are focusing on, you know, the Alpha Group, for example. It's okay. Good videos. But the idea is you have to have a meal and you have to have seekers come in. And then once the seekers are in, you have to make them feel welcome and loved. And in many instances, those seekers will really blend in the church and they'll start serving the kids. They'll start doing the ministry. And they'll think, that's okay. I can seek. I can stay. I can have the community and not have the transformation. And then, of course, the more that happens, the less you're going to want to preach the gospel because you don't want to empty the pews. So I, you know, I'm wondering, what, what, what's my plan? What's the deal? So the more I study the book of Acts, the more I do church, the more I do evangelism over the years, the more I'm returning to the simplicity of the gospel. Just a few people, one by one, intentional evangelism just daring, you know, woman at the well, I think that's what we see. You see Nicodemus in the garden, Philip in the Ethiopian, that really one-on-one deal, but if we could be a hundred doing the one-on-one, it'd be great. It's, it's kind of a hard sell, you know? It's a hard sell to think, okay, that's how we're going to do it. We're just going to go and be Christ in the city. And Christ did go where it was not the coolest place to be. And he just talked. I mean, even in our conference right here, you know, we, we can be tempted in giving each other, you know, tools and approaches and angles. I don't know. I, I think we just need to be out there and to be loving people and preaching the gospel of Christ and really to live it and to die it. You know, what I've seen that Christ has asked for me is die to self daily. You know, I, uh, I've gone through a trauma in my life about eight, nine years ago, and it just crushed me, and it's great because that made me a little more like Jesus. And, you know, if you're full of yourself in any way, shape, or form, if you have a church that is growing, if you are su- successful, whatever, you can become really, really sharp. If you're not broken, you're, you'll break others. You'll, you'll grind others. You'll, you know, God wants humble, broken ministers who believes that there's no angle. And people are still getting saved. Jesus is still saving people. He's still bringing people in Montreal and the churches. Amazing. How can that be? Because the gospel works. It really works. In our cities, many will be mocked. If you do share the gospel, Paul, of course, you know the ending. He's ridiculed. They say, oh, we'll hear you on this later. Come back later. Of course, people think they have time. You know, urban ministry will bear fruit in a whole different way. You're not going to have the numbers. And you know what? Let's not be numbers bound. Wiersbe says it well. When you contrast a seeming meager result in Athens with a great harvest in Thessalonica, burbs. No, Thessalonica was a town, but compared to Athens, it was a village. And Berea was a burb, small little town. You're tempted to conclude that Paul's ministry in Athens was a dismal failure. You're tempted to, to think, well, Calvary Montreal, you know, Calvary the Hill. What impact are you having? Wait a minute. You see, proud, sophisticated, wise Athens, concludes Wisby, would not be taken easily to Paul's humbling message of the gospel. Of course not. But we know what we're preaching. And the people that are coming in as they stay, we've seen 
such powerful conversions, such exciting things. So urban ministry, in my opinion, is guerrilla warfare. It's intense. And if you like that feel, if you love war in that way, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. But let's again focus on those who are here. Focus, you will go to the metro, you will go do outreaches in the park, you will go and do Bible club, you will go to the hospitals, you'll do all that you have to do, but the church, brothers and sisters, is an amazing device. That's the only institution that God left. No outreach in the park, no, you know, even subway outreach. Yeah, it looks like what he was doing on the, the well, but the church is the institution, it's the, it's the machine, it's whatever, it's the tool I was talking to, we have a few people from uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. They changed their name to Power to Change. Quite a few of their servants, their missionaries are in our church. And I was asking one of the guys who's in charge of Montreal, of a couple universities, how are we as Calvary Montreal helping you doing your ministry? And I thought he'd say, wow, you're sending people and you have clever teaching and we know we can count on you. And I said, no, 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 you know what you're, you're doing? You, we have a church who has been there for 13 years, who's preaching the word of God, whose gospel is presented. And I know when I invite students, that's what they're going to get. And they're going to be in this place. They're not going to be judged for their style, all that stuff, who cares? But they're going to be presented the gospel. So I thought, yeah, man, that's the church. That's what we have. That's what we can offer the world. And so I pray that, and of course, and we're not in burbs, so people can come. That's a good, convenient thing. If you're away, they have to take their cars, a whole different concept. We're on the street. We have hundreds of people just walking in, checking out the church. That's cool. You guys are right here in the neighborhood. You don't have to get to that and park in the parking. Faithfulness-focused, gospel-centered, driven solely to expound on the beauty and freedom found in Jesus Christ. Montrealers, les Québécois, want freedom above all else. My whole life prior to my conversion at 23, I wanted freedom. And I found it in Christ as you guys did. And so the freedom in Jesus' majesties and excellencies is what we present. Nothing else. And when you're convinced that that's it, people will sense that. They'll go to the book. They'll look at the book wherever you put it. Put it everywhere. And then the church will have a mission a real mission, a real capacity to outreach its community. So be bold and, I don't know, be excited. And we're not, uh, we're not alone. You know, I, again, in Montreal, it's really far and away. But the beauty is those that have com- been coming to our church have been there for many, many years, praise the Lord. Otherwise, I don't think I would have lasted. But I'm honored to be here. I think you, you guys were crazy to have me come all the way here and help me pay the fare, so thank you. And uh, let's continue to see what the Lord's going to do in our churches. Let's just be men of God, humble, available, serving him. So, Father God, thank you for these gentlemen. Thank you for the sweet lady who's with us this morning. And just, you know, who are we? But you are. You are. And let us point to you and to the beauty and the power of your word, your majesties, your excellencies, and the freedom that people in our cities are so longing for. Yeah, there's a lot of despair, a lot of pain, but maybe above all, there's a lot of proud, proud men and women looking for their own rebellious heart to liberate them. It's not going to happen. Christ only can do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, brothers and sisters.